0: $40,000 saved up at the time, which wasn't much. That was in 2018. And obviously, that couldn't even buy a parking spot in Toronto. The only place I could really afford was Windsor. So that was the starting point for me. And from there, I learned the Burr strategy and it all kind of scaled up from there. But that was the starting point. From there, I realized that There is actually a means to an end. There's a way to get out of the corporate lifestyle, but it does involve frugality, saving money, and investing, and ultimately maximizing those returns. And if I do that consistently over a period of time, I would be able to retire from my full-time job.
1: Welcome to the On Fire podcast, episode 32. With your host, Matt. And Kellen. In the On Fire podcast, we discuss financial independence, real estate investing, frugality, minimalism, and retiring early.
2: But before we jump into today's episode, I just want to remind you guys, this podcast is essentially like a groundhog. And every now and then we peek our head out, we look at the reviews and ratings. If you guys don't leave us enough reviews and ratings, we just go back into our little burrow and we don't come out for potentially years at a time. So if you guys want to make sure that we keep producing episodes of the On Fire podcast, all we ask is that you leave us a five-star rating and a written review. That would be wonderful. Today's guest
1: is Austin Ye. Austin hit 20 properties at age 25. I mean, we have to get this guy on. He's doing so many things right. He's creating communities, podcasts, documenting his journey on Instagram, and is scaling a portfolio while working a full-time job that he just gave notice to quit to pursue real estate investing and wholesaling full-time. Definitely an episode you don't want to miss.
2: Yeah. I love Austin's entire story and journey with real estate and financial independence. I remember meeting him you know, several years ago. In fact, He joined the very first iteration of Project Mayhem, which was a free program where we were training people to become kind of micro influencers. And so Austin was actually one of the only three people that actually graduated that program. So to see him then do that and then just run with social media, embrace sharing his story and all that great stuff is just absolutely amazing.
1: But enough chatting. Let's hear a quick word from our sponsors and then dive into the interview. This episode is sponsored by the Findlay Mortgage Team. The Findlay Team was born out of the idea that through exceptional service and expert advice, they can create a world of more accessible capital for their clients. As real estate capital advisors, their mission is to assist investors in strategically scaling their portfolios. They understand the struggle that investors face and how difficult it can be to scale once the banks say no. Their experts find alternative solutions by leveraging institutional and private capital stacks, strong networks, and competitive products, allowing them to offer an industry-leading service that is unparalleled in the Canadian real estate market. All right, today's guest is Austin Yeh. Austin is a 25-year-old, and he recently made the front of the Toronto life with the headline, I'm 25, live with my parents and I own 20 rental properties. Here's how I did it. So of course, Matt and I have known Austin for some years, but this opened the eyes to many aspiring investors and rightfully so. Austin's journey has stood out as an investor living in Toronto and burying properties remotely in Windsor, Ontario and showing the value of joint venture partners when it comes to scaling very quickly. So welcome to the
0: show, Austin. Thanks so much for having me, guys, and I love that mm-hmm. intro. <laughs>
1: Makes oh, my intro, it.
0: On my podcast seem like crap. Awesome. Well, <laughs> it's great to have you on the show, Austin, and
2: we'll—I'm sure—we'll dive into this more later. But can you give us a brief summary of what the last years looked like, especially given the context of COVID for you as you're building your real estate portfolio?
0: Yeah. So, so the last year was quite an odd one. At the beginning, I was scaling quite aggressively in January, and that's when COVID kind of. I guess it was on the news, but no one really took it too seriously. And I was I was buying all of these properties and the closing was probably like in in March, April. And then in in February things got a bit more serious. And in March things shut down. So I was like, oh shit, am I going to lose everything? Because I definitely got to the point where I where I was over-leveraging myself um, for a couple of deals. I was getting multiple JV partners. So I was just worried, what if people pull out? I was just thinking, what happens if, if tenants don't pay rent? So there's a lot of blind spots I left in my business in the beginning of the year and then COVID bought it to light. So I guess it was a good opportunity for me to really reflect on what can I do to improve my business. And following that experience, I, I managed to scrape up the money and close on all of those deals, pull from lines of credit, so on and so forth. But I started to focus on really systemizing my business and also taking kind of a a different approach in real estate where it's just not all about doors, but it's about quality of doors, quality of tenants. It's also about reaching out to tenants because before I would just outsource everything to a property manager, but now like I try to keep in contact with tenants who, who don't pay rent or things of that nature. So I'm getting a bit more involved in my business, systemizing it as well, and also kind of scaling back on my growth and just making sure that all of my blind spots are covered before growing. And on top of growing the portfolio, another big thing in, in, in the past year was I started to jump into wholesaling, got inspired by actually Tyler on your team, Matt, and he was making a killing out of wholesaling. And I was like, man, rental income is great, but it's a bit tougher to retire on rental income versus some sort of active real estate income. And I knew that I really wanted to retire my job as soon as possible. I didn't know what happened in in the year 2020, but it ended up being in the year 2020. And that was largely attributed because of wholesaling. I did a couple of wholesale deals, which it pretty much replaced my full-time income. And I thought to myself that, yeah, I mean, the rental income is amazing, but I'm going to really double down on wholesaling in 2021, in the latter half of, of 2020. And that really got me to be able to retire from my full-time job. There's a lot going on in the past year. That was just a quick summary version, footnotes version. But yeah, we can we can go more deep into it throughout the podcast.
1: Absolutely. I mean, that gives everyone a pretty good idea of what's been going on in your life. I mean, the fact that you've quit your day job is a huge thing. So let's rewind and put your head back into where it was at a few years back or five years ago or whatever it is. You know, can you walk us through, you know, your background and how you came to discover the idea of financial independence and real estate investing to begin with.
0: Yeah. So my family was always pretty frugal. My parents were born and raised in India. A lot of the people who read my Toronto life story already know that pretty much typical immigrant story. My dad had to drop out of school in grade six, come to Canada. So frugality was really instilled in my life because throughout my childhood, they would scrape pennies, coupon shop, all of that good stuff. And as I was growing up, I would do the same. But I never really thought of the concept of retiring early. I was chasing prestige and a high income paying job more than anything. And I found that the pursuit of that was, it left me very unhappy a lot. Like for me, I was making decisions based on money, not based on passion. And when I started my full-time job, I knew that I cannot do this forever. I wasn't feeling too happy or, or proud of my accomplishments, although I did everything right. Everything my parents told me to do, everything society told me to do, but I just wasn't feeling happy. And so I ended up dabbling in stocks where I lost, Couple thousand dollars. I was trading weed stocks, and I didn't know anything about the stock market, um, so that like didn't most go people well.
1: trading weed stocks, Sorry? <laughs> like most people trading weed stocks. Yeah, it's,
0: it's, it's exactly. <laughs> so, I ended up losing a couple thousand from there, and I realized that I wanted to invest in an asset that was a little bit less liquid. Oddly enough, because. There, were, there would be a less of an emotional factor to it. I can't easily sell or, or trade these assets when shit hits the fan. And so I decided to search up on YouTube, investing in real estate, passive income, things of that nature. And I ran across the Canadian YouTube scene. So Matt McKeever, Matt P Pichet, Mike Rosehart, and started binge watching those videos. And shortly after I pulled the trigger and buying my first rental property, I had about $40,000 saved up at the time, which wasn't much, that was in 2018. And obviously, that couldn't even buy a parking spot in in Toronto. The only place I could really afford was Windsor. So that was the starting point for me. And from there, I learned the Burr strategy and it all kind of scaled up from there. But that was the starting point. And from there, I realized that there is actually a means to an end. There's a way to get out of the corporate lifestyle, but it does involve frugality, saving money and investing and ultimately maximizing those returns. And if I do that consistently over a period of time, I would be able to retire from my full-time job. And of course, attended a bunch of masterminds, learned about OPM and things of that nature and was able to get joint venture partners to scale up. But yeah, that's how I got started into the entire real estate scene. Awesome. Yeah, I love
1: that. I think like one of the things you mentioned there briefly was just the idea that we have, you know, with real estate investing, it's a little bit less liquid, right? Compared to stocks and things like that, where, you know, you get a little bit antsy, but what the market's up to you, maybe you sell those things off or you, you dive in because of where the charts are at or whatever versus real estate. I mean, it's a forced savings plan when you take your money, put it into a house, I mean, if you want to sell that property, it's not generally an overnight thing, right? It takes a little bit of decision making, and it works really well for the frugal types, uh, especially. And actually, works even better for the people who have difficulty saving, right? And putting their money away. You, you now you have uh, a forced savings plan, a bank
0: account, which is your house. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Like I always, see, so I am um, pretty big saver, but instead of putting things in a checking or a savings account, instead I'm deciding to put it into assets, right?
2: Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I definitely appreciate all the context behind how you got started in real estate. So, when looking at your real estate journey, Austin, there's a lot of people that get started with real estate, but not nearly as many that scale to the size that you've done, and particularly on the timeline you've done. When you kind of compare your journey to the average real estate investor's journey, do you notice any differences? Do you think, was there a unique competitive
0: advantage you had? I wouldn't say there's a unique competitive advantage. I would say the big difference is, is that one is that I wasn't afraid to invest in myself. A lot of where I got today was because of attending um, different mastermind event, networking events. So Matt, I went to a ton of your mastermind events, like the Raising Capital. And, and shortly after that event, like how to raise capital, I got my first JV partner um, and it was just taking action on some of the steps that were taught in these masterminds. And networking, surrounding myself with the right people. And really, most importantly, is when I hear something or a new strategy, I try to take action on it. And for better or for worse, because that means that sometimes I end up chasing every shiny object. But at the same time, when I take action on the right things, then it obviously pays off tenfold. So I guess. That was really the differentiating factor. And in terms of investing in myself, it was definitely a tough commitment at the beginning because I was really only working my full-time job and I put most of my money into real estate assets. So there wasn't much room to to buy tickets to attend a networking event or, or get a coach. But I didn't let that become a crutch or an excuse for me. I saw that the most elite level investors had either some sort of mentor or coach. So when I didn't have that much money to begin with, and I had all my money in my assets and renovations, I decided to work for free under Mike Rosehart, because you could always trade your time for knowledge. And that's exactly what I did. I drove down to London twice a week, and that was every weekend. And I took some days off of work to go down to London as well, stayed with Mike, helped him with renovations, asked him questions, gave him a ton of value in exchange, I got value back. And when I was able to eventually save the money, and I realized that my time was starting to get more valuable, and it didn't make sense to trade it off, I decided to hire a coach. And that coach was Corey McKinnon. And... Obviously that wasn't a cheap investment, that's a five-acre investment, but it paid off tenfold again because there was the accountability aspect. He taught me so many new strategies I wasn't aware of, even if it was like small little changes to my business model. And obviously by taking action on these items, the results show for itself. Um, I think a lot of the newer investors or investors who are casually investing, They will occasionally attend an event here and there, but they kind of just listen to what's going on and then forget about it. They just they're like networking junkies. They just go networking all the time, but will never take action on any of these things. So a lesson without action doesn't lead to anything.
1: That's actually a really interesting point. You you talked about, you know, being very frugal, saving a lot of money, that kind of thing, but then not being afraid to invest in yourself. So what was kind of the difference in your head there? Like the mentality where like, you know, I'm going to join these vents, I'm going to hire a coach. I'm going to spend money to learn. Like wh- what was the thought process there versus, you know, I don't want to buy these things. Like, I don't want to buy a nice car and I don't want to, you know, spend my money on this stuff. I'm frugal.
0: Yeah. So the first event I went to was the one at Windsor and I think it was only 10 bucks. So the cost of it was very cheap it was just really my time and then I got an exposure to I got exposure to other investors I got linked with contractors with agents with property managers through that event so immediately I realized the value of investing in myself and attending these networking events. And I started off with the cheaper one. So if I thought that if this is how much value I got from attending only a $10 event, what if I spend a bit more? And I progressively spent a bit more on more expensive events. And then I went to those bigger events that cost a couple of hundred dollars, but I started off small and, and started moving my way up, right? It's a, it's a tough pill to swallow for someone to just jump into like, A $500, $600 event if they've never been networking before. And I totally get it because they might not be able to fully extract the value because they're nervous. They might not connect with, they might be nervous to network with other people. So it's easier to start off in, in some of those cheaper or free events. And when you get value out of that, you can slowly climb your way up. And that's exactly what I did. That's how I got my, that's how I convinced myself that, you know what, like putting money in myself is a good investment because no matter what amount of dollar I spent on networking and then I went to a more expensive networking event, I was able to extract even more value from that. And it got to the point where, again, like I made that decision to invest with Corey. And that was because at a certain point, networking was great, but I needed accountability because I am a very studious student. Like when, when I think I, I know myself pretty well and I'm pretty self-aware, when I think about myself in school, I only did well in school because there were tests, there were quizzes, there were homework. There was something I could stay accountable to. There's a course curriculum. Whereas in real estate, there is no course curriculum whatsoever. You are 100% self-motivated unless you have a coach or a mentor. And for me to succeed like I did in school in real estate, likewise, I would need some sort of accountability, a teacher to report to if you may. And I met Corey in a couple events. We connected well. I knew who's running a coaching program. So I decided to make the leap of faith. And I didn't look back since it it was an amazing investment. So the thing with the coaches is that they give you like homework. Um, Every week you talk on the phone with them. So if they tell you to do something and you don't do it, you're literally looking at your coach and saying, I know that I should do this to move the needle, but I didn't do it. And then your coach is going to be obviously kind of like why and and kind of putting pressure on you to do this work. So being accountable to someone really helped me level up as well. But yeah, again, to answer your question, I got myself around spending money being frugal by by going to some of the cheaper events first, extracting as much value as possible, then progressively spending more and more as I felt like those cheaper events I didn't get as much value from.
2: Awesome, Austin. Really appreciate that additional insight into the uh, coaching and mentorship. So first of all, congratulations on leaving the day job. I'd love to know what's the difference now like what's the difference in your day-to-day life are there any big plans or any uh, interesting developments on the horizon?
0: yeah so interestingly enough i technically i resigned but didn't officially leave just yet so my last day is February 26 2021 um however, I did get a taste of full-time real estate during the holidays so I took two weeks off in december. I'm like a lot of my other peers, and instead of just relaxing and fully enjoying it, what I did was, I I committed that time to get a taste of entrepreneurship, because I know as an entrepreneur, there's no schedule really. And it's 100% self motivation. Um, If I want to wake up late, I could wake up late. But during the, that two week holiday, I forced myself to still wake up um, early. So like at 7, 7.30 a.m., continue to do my daily routine, then jumped on my laptop and did the day to day work that I generally have in real estate. So that's like my dealing with the Rise Network. That's dealing with the Rise podcast, replying to emails, throwing out fires. I'm sure you guys know the grind of that. But as I was doing all of these small things. I realized that the majority of my day as an entrepreneur is spent on non-value up tasks. So again, like things like coordinating guests to come on, shooting out emails, again, throwing out fires, all of these small things that add up and then ad hoc phone calls here and there. And I realized that I wanted to systemize my business a bit more. And so one of the things that I started to do recently is I, I hired a virtual assistant because My goal in 2021, when I do do real estate full-time, is to grow my wholesaling business to a million dollars plus in revenue. And all of this time that I was spending over the Christmas holidays was doing these small tasks. So by having a VA on board, I can offload these small tasks to the virtual assistant, and I could focus on growing the business. I could focus on the strategy portion of the business, because again, I never have time to think about the strategic portion of the business because I'm so involved in doing the day-to-day tasks. So that's kind of what things have been like in the winter break that gave me the taste of entrepreneurship. And going forward, what my plan is, is is that again, hire the virtual assistant, offload these small tasks over to them, but really focus on creating the vision of the business and doing high income tasks. So things like acquisitions on the wholesaling side, building the buyer's list or dispositions on the wholesaling side, in terms of the the Rise Network to continue to add as much value as possible to the community members on there. And hopefully bring some ambassadors on there as well to help keep the group engaged. Because one thing that I've realized is is that I'm pretty much doing most or if not all of the work in the engagement. And I feel like without me constantly responding or or throwing things on the page, the page is going to slowly, it's slowly going to die down. So I need the help of other investors as well to keep that community alive. So looking at growing that as well, so I can be less involved in the day to day. And on the podcast side of things, I want to systemize that to the point where all I have to do, Is show up, film the podcast, and that is it. Everything else is handed by the virtual assistant, all of the communication. So, yeah, I guess trying to make my, trying to actually build up more free time in my life by systemizing so I could just focus on growing the business and then having some sort of life. Outside of real estate, because the past two and a half years I've had no life at all. It was work in real estate, <laughs> and I let my health also deplete as well. So I want to make that a priority again. So I just want to have a more focused um, and balanced lifestyle in 2021.
1: Yeah, no, that makes sense. And and you know, Matt and I have experienced similar things with with groups that we've started, London on Fire" and things like that. You know, a lot of a lot of us maintaining it, that kind of stuff, and, and at least initially. And it definitely helps to have people people on there keeping things active, keeping people. T- talking, that kind of stuff. You, you mentioned a lot about the VA stuff. So what is your, like, like you sound like you've had a pretty good experience with it. What have been some of the struggles or challenges or, or things that like typical questions that you're going to get, you know, like hiring a VA, like how do you trust them with your information? How do you know what kind of tasks they can do? like, who do you hire? Where do you get them? Like, do you get references, like all of that, all of that? What's a uh, what's your experience been like with that? Yes.
0: So how I approach the virtual assistant is by hiring an external company who has experience in hiring VAs, right? So I didn't go out and, and, and personally find the VA myself in the in the Philippines, I hired a company who had real estate experience and their specialty is literally high hiring real estate VAs for wholesaling businesses for real estate brokerages, for property management. Like that's what this company does. So we, I ended up paying them, I think it was like $3,000 USD for the hiring process. And they bought me over seven or eight virtual assistants. Essentially, I told the hiring company, like this is what I'm looking for in a VA. One, they have to be able to speak English with very little of an accent because they're going to be handling acquisition calls, um, initial acquisition calls to screen them out. They need to be able to understand um, the basics of real estate. Third, they need to have had previous real estate experience, whether that be in property management, they might have been a VA for brokerage, they need to have social media experience. So I gave essentially like a list of things that I wanted in a VA because I I, I created a list of things that were taking time out of my day that I didn't want to do. And then I passed it on to the hiring company. Hiring company reached out to whatever, their network, put the postings out and they bought me six or seven VAs to interview. So we had a three hour interview process to go through all of those seven candidates. And it was ab- it was it was phenomenal the the talent pool in the in the Philippines. I would have never imagined a VA to have that much experience and knowledge. A lot of them were undergrad students. They studied business in undergrad in the Philippines, and they worked in several real estate firms and companies to support them. So while I was interviewing them it was amazing because at times they were teaching me systems, and I was like, oh crap. Like, this is phenomenal. So, if I hire them on, they can actually help make my business much more efficient. So, yeah, really, for me, it wasn't really a referral basis thing. It was hiring a company, a hiring company that has done this before. They have a track record. And I just interviewed two or three of these hiring companies because there's not only one that's out there, there's a couple. Most of them are US based. So, I interviewed a couple of them, found the one I resonated with the most, and they bought all the candidates over to me. And and as with the BA, what they're currently doing now is, is that um, one of the tough parts for a lot of people is allocating enough time to train the VA because that easily takes two to three hours out of my daily schedule every day over the past three weeks because you need to train the VA sufficiently on the tasks that you want done. so I want my VA, again, to to handle phone calls, so giving them call scripts, letting them monitor me doing call scripts, letting them monitor my other business partner doing call scripts. And, and, and getting on the phone and also kind of having them shadow us while we do tasks and then let them do the tasks themselves and we shadow them to make sure they're doing it right. All of the training up front, it does take quite a bit of time, but how I see it is, is that I spend one month training this VA and I get like 40 hours in perpetuity back in my life. And I could focus that on value add tasks. So if for those who are considering hiring a VA, I strongly do suggest going to a company that has the expertise in hiring because they have all of the connections in the Philippines already. If you're going to be hiring a VA from the Philippines, which generally it is cheaper labor, we're paying $4 USD an hour. They already have all that expertise and network and they can bring you exactly what you're looking for. And you'll be impressed with the amount of things that a VA can actually do. But one thing to note is, is that Do not hire a VA if you don't have the time to invest in them in terms of making sure they understand your business because they're just like any other employee in corporate. Like imagine going to your new job and they had no orientation and they gave you a bunch of work. Obviously, you're not going to be set to succeed. So you need to spend at least a month, I would say, to really make sure that your VA has all the tools and sets ready to succeed in the business. And once you put that upfront investment in time and money, it's going to, again, you're going to free up 40 hours of your week. And, and obviously that's going to pay off in the long term if your goal is to scale your business. Yeah. Love it.
2: So pivoting here, when you were originally setting out on your FIRE journey, Austin... And as it evolved, did you have a fire number? Like, was there a number that you had exactly in mind? And if so, did that evolve over time? And was it a lump sum? Was it a passive cash flow amount? What did that look like for you? And how did you know it was time to jump?
0: Yeah, so my amount that I would, that I felt comfortable retiring at initially, it was around 2000, 2500, because I was living at home. So I didn't really have that many expenses. But as I was continuing to grow my portfolio, at the same time, I was working longer in corporate as well. And then the longer I feel like you work in corporate, the bigger the handcuffs become because the more comfortable you get. So that number continued to go up and it didn't need to go up. I could have fully retired at $2,000, $2,500 in, in cash flow a month. However, again, like as I was working in corporate, it became scarier and scarier. And I didn't have that active income stream in real estate. All I had was rental income. What made me feel more comfortable to make that jump was when I had active real estate income. Because at the end of the day, with with rental properties, a lot of things can happen. Yes, you can have the passive income, but you need the savings as well. Because what if a furnace goes down? What if a roof goes out on one of your properties? What if something happens to multiple of your properties? That's still cash flow is important. Yes, but you need the savings to be able to fix these things. And I was constantly turning around projects. I was constantly burring properties. So my cash was always out of my hands at one point or another. Right now, while we're doing this podcast, I am cash broke. But I know in a month, I'm going to get like six figures and checks. But like, that's the cycle of it. And I knew that if I quit my job, I can't go through that cycle anymore. I can't continue to deploy my capital because I can't risk having almost no liquidity and not being to service any of my properties. So when I started wholesaling, that was really the comfort point for me when I said, okay, now I have another active income stream that I thoroughly enjoy. And I do see, that there's potential to get more upside from wholesaling than my full-time job and that's when i decided to make that transition over i think for a lot of people they think there's a passive income number from from cash flow and rental properties that are gonna, that's going to make the transition easier from leaving their job but times have changed it's it's 20 it's 2020 acquisition prices have increased getting those full refinance properties are obviously much harder than it was in 2018 2017 it's still possible but your cash flow margins have also narrowed down significantly as well so to get to like for most people, it's usually around $5,000 in in passive income. To get to $5,000, it's much tougher to do it nowadays, still feasible, but it's much tougher to do it nowadays within two years than before, right? Like now it might take might take four or five years, like $1,000 a month. Um, It is still feasible if if you guys put your head down and do do the work, but it's just much easier to build an active income stream than retire and then continue to scale your portfolio. So yeah, I mean, like once I built that active income stream, that's when I knew that it it was time for me to leave the corporate grind. Yeah,
1: I honestly, I completely resonate with that. I think for me it was a really tough decision leaving the day job knowing, you know, it's purely based on passive income. My passive income was at the point where it was far more than I needed which helped, but at the same time knowing that it's, you know, it's based on your tenants paying rent and things like that is a lot different than, you know, earning active income in some way and, you know, after a year or a year and a half or so of that, I started thinking I need to, I, I'd like to have some active income. it wasn't a necessity, but there's just there's something about it that scratches an itch and makes you a little bit more comfortable in your position and situation, have some active income. And it's also nice to be able to just earn some money, use it towards some down payments and it not all just be in one thing, all in the real estate world, all in buy and hold real estate. Although I think that's where a lot of long-term wealth is built. It's nice to have other things to be working on in the meantime.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: So when it comes to like sharing your journey and stuff like that on Instagram, I mean, you're, of course, there's there's purpose to it. Uh, you're building a community. Of course, uh, there was, you know, uh, attracting joint venture partners, all that kind of thing. What other reasons do you have for sharing your journey publicly? Because there's plenty of things that you're going to be talking about on there. You know, we've been following your journey for a while where you're, you know, you're sharing about the day-to-day struggles in your life or the like, you know, in your business, like sharing all of that. What is what is kind of the thought process behind sharing all of these things?
0: Yeah. So at the beginning, I was sharing my journey more so for inspiration. I my intention was not to raise capital at the beginning cuz I only I was only, I started sharing my journey on Instagram when I bought my first property and was going through all of the struggle just to show other people that they could do it too. But as I was continuing my journey, I realized that I started to get a bit more haters and, and, and pushback than I thought there would be. So then I there was a point in my time where I wanted to to stop social media, just because I felt like again, like all of that attention and that hate was unnecessary. But then I I had a, a goal in mind. And that was eventually to raise capital. So that kept me going to continue to share my social media presence. One of the things that Matt taught in his uh, his mastermind, the, the raising capital mastermind, is is that you need to build credibility. One of the best ways to build credibility is through organizing meetups, is through going, is through posting on social media, is through educating others, going on Instagram live because you're looked at as a subject matter expert. So over some time, again, the priority became to raise capital, which is why I was so active on Instagram, which is why I was giving all of this free content to the community. But then at a certain point. I felt like I didn't need to raise capital anymore. Um, and, it, and it transitioned back to that inspirational thing because I felt like at a at a point, it didn't matter if I got fired or not in my job. So I could be more, I guess I could be more transparent in social media and I wanted to act as a voice for people and kind of where my heart, uh, where my sleeve, is, which is for better or for worse because some of my colleagues do follow me on Instagram, which isn't the best, but I could act as a voice of what people feel and think inside, but no one really says, right? and. I enjoy having those conversations with some of my followers. So one of the one of the things I put out recently is is that I didn't get a good raise in work recently. I, I think it was like a three hundred dollar raise or something very low. And the year prior to that, it was like a one percent raise or one point five percent raise. And I voiced that on social media. And a lot of people obviously wouldn't have the I wouldn't say wouldn't have the guts, but but are not in a position to to post that out without without kickback. But since again, I I felt like I had I was in the point where. I didn't need my full-time job. I could be fully transparent with people out in the community. A lot of people read that and they, man, the amount of people that message me is like, there are this, you're, you're saying exactly what I'm thinking. Like, and obviously when you relate to someone on social media, you find them as um, more inspirational. You want to take action. Um, Because they relate to you on so many levels. And by me being completely transparent on social media, my goal now is, again, just to give back to the community and to relate to people and inspire them to be able to use real estate as an asset to get them to that dream lifestyle. And that's what the mission of Rise is all about as well, which is always why I'm I'm throwing out my JV agreements for free on the Rise Network group. I'm constantly putting as much content as I can, because I believe in good karma. And, and at the beginning, it was communities like that that helped me get to the point where I'm at now. And I feel like I'm at the position now where I can give back as much as possible. So that's kind of the thought process of going on social media now just to relate to others and give others a voice who can't particularly say what they feel, but I can be that voice for them. So you
1: talked about like, basically, you talked about the idea of fu money, right? Like you can say things that you otherwise wouldn't feel comfortable saying because you have the financial stability, and you have the cash flow, and you have the real estate portfolio and the active income to be able to do that. So like what other things have you found that that f u money has afforded you? Like what else can you do or say or think or spend your time on that you otherwise wouldn't be able to spend if you didn't have that situation going for you?
0: Yeah, so the f u money really gave me more self-confidence and it made me do it made me become less of a fake person without feeling that there were any really major repercussions. So Things in corporate as well. If I'm overworked, I can let my boss and managers know that. Like I feel more power to push back because the repercussions are obviously less because I have something to fall back on. Likewise, with Matt always says this is to drop a loser friend and the money thing. I, I hate to say it, but it does. Money does give you more confidence, right? It makes you ten times the person you are when you have money. And I I gained more confidence. When having money and I there was a lot of people that I couldn't relate to or didn't relate to or they're trying to pull me down and I could easily tell that whenever I hung around with them that they would always make me feel kind of left out or awkward and I cut those loser friends out when I as I started to get more money as well not sure why the money thing played a huge part in it but it did I guess it was the self confidence that it gave me right. You can generally live your best life make your own decisions without feeling like there's too many repercussions one of the things that i do want to do um now that i have passive income or not passive income now that i have more income is is that i want to travel obviously that those plans got derailed but in 2021 that's if the pandemic eventually ends by summer or or gets settled down um traveling is a big part of my plan and obviously i wouldn't be able to do that if i didn't have that fu money because i'd be still working a corporate job two weeks vacation and or three weeks vacation. And that's about it, right? There's nothing more I could do. But now with with this income, there's so many other things like I can live life on really on my own terms, make decisions that I want to make. And also, I could truly speak up, be a voice and really be myself, right? Because again, money does perpetuate self-confidence, I feel like. For some people, if they are already arrogant people, then money will obviously make that more, I guess, more upfront. And you can clearly see that more. But for me, yeah, money's just made me feel more self-confident. And and I'm able to do pretty much what I feel like I want to do.
2: Awesome. I appreciate you sharing that, Austin. And definitely agree. Money is certainly a magnifier for a lot of people. So on every episode, we like to wrap up the show with what a segment we call the Fire Four. So we like to ask all of our guests the same four questions. And question number one, Austin, is what are you grateful for?
0: Yeah, what am I grateful for? I'm grateful for, I guess I'm grateful. It's odd. I'm grateful for being born in Canada because I feel like this is the land of opportunity. My parents didn't have the same opportunity as I had, because they were born and raised in India in poverty. And that one decision for them literally changed my entire life, right? Like if I was born in India, I definitely wouldn't be afforded the same opportunities that I have now. So I'm grateful for for being born in a land of opportunity. And, and I'm just fortunate enough to be able to take advantage of the opportunities that I laid out in front of me.
1: I love that. I I don't think we've actually had anyone say that that's something I'm really grateful for as well. I know there's a lot of, you know, in times like this with politics, there's a lot of divide and a lot of, you know, people are concerned about a lot of things. But at the end of the day, I'm pretty happy we're here. There's a whole lot of other countries I'd rather rather not be in compared to here. So very happy about that as well. (laughs) (laughs) So question number two is the polar opposite. Is there some kind of a guilty pleasure or something in your life that you just can't live without?
0: Yeah. You know what? I found this recently and it is actually uh home decor and furniture. <laughs> so I, I, <laughs> I moved into my new condo and I gave my girlfriend a ton of shit earlier on for saying like, she wants this, she wants that. But now it feels like I'm the one who's going over budget. Like <laughs> We got an accent wall on our condo as soon as we moved in. It's a brand new condo too. So no work is necessary, but I, I decided to put in more work for the accent wall. I changed light fixtures of our brand new condo as well, which is unnecessary. I don't know. I, I feel like I'm a sucker for furniture and house decor. I just like making the place I live in. I feel like home.
2: <laughs> awesome. Question number three is, is there a frugality tip or life hack that you'd like to share with the audience?
0: Yeah. So this is something that I learned from Mike Rosehart while I was uh, menteeing under him. And one of the things he said is that if you, if you want to buy something that has uh, a depreciation curve, so it loses value over time, and let's say it's a, let's say it's like a, a laptop. So, cause this is something that I actually did. I didn't use my laptop for gaming. I only needed it for PowerPoint, Microsoft Word, watching YouTube videos, maybe browsing movies, nothing extreme, like the most basic things. So I knew that the only thing I really needed in my laptop is one, a working laptop that has a good processor, but I don't care how old it is. And I understand with technology, it depreciates quite significantly. When you buy it, usually the value drops significantly. And then over time, technology continues to grow. So your new laptop that you bought maybe two years ago for a thousand bucks is probably only worth 200 bucks two years later. And that was something that I definitely took advantage of. When there are things I know what the purpose and functionality is and I don't need anymore, I end up buying it when it's near the end of its depreciation curve. So I bought my laptop, i7 processor, uh, it's a ThinkPad for 300, $250 Canadian. And I think it's only four years old, but it works like a charm because the processor was top of the line four or five years ago. And yeah, I mean, I saved so much money. If I wanted to sell this thing next year, I could probably sell it for two hundred bucks. My depreciation on this laptop is only fifty dollars, right? So it's much. It was a much smarter financial decision to buy this used laptop that served its purpose rather than buy a brand new one, which that I would be down like seven, eight hundred dollars if I decided to sell that thing two years later.
1: That's great. So the next question kind of throws some people for a loop, but basically, imagine you're in a movie. You're the main character. You're watching this movie with yourself, and you're the hero of that movie. And uh, you're watching your life right now. What would you want the hero of your own movie to do in your life right now?
0: What would I? Uh, oh, ooh, good question. <laughs> I'm thinking that if I was a hero of my own movie, I would want. I wouldn't want me to build a more balanced lifestyle. <laughs> Because <laughs> because I tend to think in things in extreme. And yes, that has helped me in my real estate journey, but it's also not done me justice in other aspects of my life. Finding balance is very important. So I've let my health again decline. I think I was telling Kellen this a while back, or, or was it it was just this weekend that I, like two and a half years ago I had six pack abs or three years ago. Now I'm like sixty pounds heavier and overweight. So I'm like shit. Well, I need to do something with my health. So if I was a hero in my own movie, my journey, my hero's journey would literally be to find more balance, right? He's the hero would be good at some things, great at some things, but very poor in others. So just to round everything out and build a more complete life.
2: Appreciate you sharing that, Austin. And thanks for being on the show. And before we wrap up, we always like to get our guests to ask our audience a question. So do you have a question you'd like to share?
0: Sure. Yeah. The question that I have, and I learned this from my coach, Corey McKinnon, is is that, does your actions align with your goals? And this really changed my entire real estate trajectory because at a certain point, I was chasing every single shiny object out there, every strategy, I kept on pivoting, and I was not focused. So one thing that Corey told me to do was set three big goals, because it's easier to set three big goals and make sure that your actions align to them, than to do a million things at once and have a million goals, because you're not going to be able to achieve all of those goals within a year or two years. So now I make sure that every single action I do aligns to one of my three pillars or one of my three goals. And if it doesn't, it's not an important action. I should put that aside and focus on other important things to do. I love that. It's
1: advice that we can hear from a bunch of different angles. And we just have to hear it one way before it really clicks with us. At the end of the day, it's about living your life intentionally and aligning your thoughts with your actions, aligning your actions with your goals that's awesome that that's how you approach things. So where can people find you and get in touch with you?
0: They can find me on social media, Instagram at Austin A6. If they go there and click on the link, all of my other information is on there.
2: Awesome. Really appreciate you joining us for this episode, Austin, and just want to encourage everyone to uh, follow
0: along and reach out. Thanks so much, man, Kellen. It was really fun.
2: Yeah, thank you i love just getting to chat with such young motivated individuals like austin to accomplish what he's done at age 25 is just such an excellent example of compressing time i think that's something that more people need to understand that's what financial independence is really all about taking a journey that a lot of people would take 30 40 maybe 50 years to accomplish instead we're looking to accomplish in 5 10 or 15 years and there's no better example than austin i think I found the part about active
1: versus passive income fascinating because I find that those who build passive income for themselves, they often tend to jump right back into some form of active income. I think it's a pattern that I find very interesting and entrepreneurs just don't seem like they want to stop.
2: And while you're waiting for the next episode, jump over to Facebook and join the London on Fire community and follow us on Instagram at onfirepodcast. And make sure to tune into the next on Fire podcast to meet more people, hear their stories and learn from their mistakes. And while you guys are waiting for the next episode to come out, know what would be awesome? A five-star rating and written review. I don't even care what platform it's on. I don't care what you say. All we care is that you leave us that rating and written review. And thanks for listening. This is Matt. And Kellen signing off. And until next episode, remember being normal. Buying stuff doesn't make you happy. And always remember what Thomas Edison said. Genius is 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration.